called Long Friday. It's called Holy Friday. It's called God Friday. Certain parts of the world, they still uh, close down businesses. In Germany, you couldn't gamble today. Actually, you're forbidden from dancing. They wouldn't want people to put a tinge on the holiness of the day. So Good Friday, God Friday, Holy Friday, Long Friday, how do we know it? Some have thought the entomology of God Friday led into Good Friday. It's like the phrase goodbye. It used to be God be with ye, and we shrunk it down. So they thought, well, maybe that's where Good Friday came from, and it became Good Friday as we know it, even though it started out as the Holy Day, God Friday. Whatever title you give to it, it's an extraordinary thing in culture, that we have what we have in the way that we understand it because it's incredibly unique. There's no event like it. You, you can't point to other things that close down businesses in nations. And we gather to remember a death. So it's not a birthday, it's a death day. And if I invited you to celebrate with me the day that Abraham Lincoln was executed and say that there's a death day, let's celebrate it, you'd look at me weird, like rightfully so. What are you thinking? But yet we gather tonight to celebrate this death. As believers, we understand why. We understand that God planned this. Acts 2.23 says he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Peter went on to say that what we meant for evil, God meant for good. Look with me on the screen and, and drink in that verse. He was delivered up. We talked about that this last week, that God did the delivering. God's the one that put him in that place. So this particular day has a dichotomy in it. It's both got this joy thing because we understand that he did it for us, but it's got this sorrow thing and it brings discomfort to us as believers in Christ because this day of all days bears the fingerprints of a fallen man, us. So Judas delivered him up for sure. Pilate delivered him up, clearly. The Jewish leaders delivered him up. The soldiers delivered him up and Rome as an empire they delivered him up, but if we're going to be really honest with each other, ultimately we're going to have to say we all bear responsibility. So if there was a lineup of suspects, we'd all have to saddle up alongside all of our ancestors who have gone before us and all those who have not been born yet because God ID'd every single one of us and said we all have our fingerprints on the weapon. Look with me on the screen at Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, and it's our sin that put them on the cross. So we've all got our fingerprints on the weapon, and in the midst of our most horrible evil, killing God, God was doing his greatest work. God's at work doing his greatest work. One of my favorite prophecies comes from the book of Psalms. I want you to see it up on the screen. It's Psalms 1610. The chapter of 16, you should look at it sometime if you haven't before, but right smack dab in the middle of it. It says this, and it's, it's a prophecy about the Messiah. 
And it says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is another word for hell. It's the place of decay. And it goes on to say, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. What this is writing about in chapter 16, it's describing the confidence that Jesus had in God the Father because it goes on to say that God is at his right side. And because he knows that God is at his right hand, he looked at the cross with confidence. Jesus knew because God was at his right hand, he would not be shaken. Here's another prophecy for you. There's only two I'm going to give you tonight. This one's Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. You heard Joe just read this a minute ago. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. This last weekend, if you were here, you heard me refer to Lamb Selection Day. And I told you if you came back on Good Friday, you'd learn what that was. So let me expand on that for you a little bit because what we just saw in Isaiah 53 is an exact match for this. Jesus enters Jerusalem on Sunday, which in the Jewish world is known as Lamb Selection Day. And that's the day that families would go out and select their Passover lamb. So late in the day, on Sunday afternoon, families would gather individuals from the family and they would go out like we go out and pick a Christmas tree. If they didn't have their own herd of sheep, they would go to a place where they could buy it. And they needed to buy a perfect, spotless lamb, blemish-free, and bring it back to their home to prepare for the Passover. Well, as the Lamb of God, Jesus rides into the city late that afternoon, Mark 11 says, on the very day, at the very time when families are out picking out their lamb. Where does that come from? Well, that comes from the book of Exodus. Look with me, Exodus 12, 3, it says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Jump down to verse 6, take care of them, meaning the sheep, until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So the same day that we call Palm Sunday, Israel is out selecting its lamb And on Thursday, four days later, they begin the process at twilight of slaughtering the lamb for their family. This makes so much sense when you see Paul writing things like this. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Or what about this one? 1 Peter 1, 19, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot, And from Genesis to Revelation, all the way through the Word of God, Jesus Christ is revealed as our Passover lamb. And in eternity one day, you're going to step into heaven and you're going to say to his face, worthy is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, the lamb of God, who takes upon the sin of the world. So Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem four days before Passover is not by coincidence. The lambs are chosen on the 10th day of Nisan. They're told to be held until the 14th day of Nisan. Why? So they would be visible so they could inspect them and make sure they're blemish-free. So Jesus is in the temple for four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and all of Israel is exposed to him. And Jewish historians tell us today that lambs during that period of time in the first century, they came from one 
particular place. And only from that place could they be used for Passover. Just nine miles up the road, the lambs had to come from the city of Bethlehem. The lamb had to come and be raised in the city of Bethlehem and delivered to Jerusalem. And when they brought them through the gate to sell them to the families of Israel, they brought them through the sheep gate. Can you guess which gate Jesus entered through when he rode in on that Sunday? The sheep gate. The lamb of God comes in to save the world. And this is all an exact match for the things that Joe was just reading. And you look at this on the screen and you see that this one kept his mouth silent. It says this in Matthew 27, 12. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. When you hold all the power of the universe in your hand and yet you remain silent, when you can call legions of angels, scripture says 10,000 times 10,000, and yet you allow yourself to be chained and tortured even though everyone's going to abandon him, Jesus holds his tongue. And you and I find ourselves in the aftermath of that, remembering a death day because it brought us life. Amen? Brought us life. So we've been blessed with an incredible way to remember this, and Jesus did not want us to forget. So we have the communion elements around us. And I think if you're new to New Hope or you've never witnessed something like this before, you're going to be intrigued with what I'm about to share with you. Let me take you back real quickly to 1 Corinthians 5, 7. We just saw it. Look with me one more time on the screen. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Look at the rest of it. It says, therefore, let us celebrate the feast. What's the feast? It's the supper that Jesus was celebrating with them. The Lord's Supper. So Luke twenty two nineteen 19 says this, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when Jesus is holding a piece of bread that he's breaking, it looks much like this. This is a piece of matzah. You can find it in the store, in in the section of the stores, grocery stores that, that sell things that belong to international communities. In Jewish temples, they still use the unleavened bread. We have the matzah cracker, and it's broken into many pieces. What you're about to pick up is just a remnant of this big square that the workers who serve communion to you have broken into little bitty pieces. I want you to, when you pick up the pieces in just a moment, to look for these elements that I'm about to describe to you. First of all, we understand that to be legitimate, to be able to be used in a Passover meal, it had to be unleavened because Scripture says very clearly that the leavening, it puffs up, it produces what you see today in a loaf of bread, it's puffy. You take out the leavening and and it's flat. Why? Because Scripture says the leavening represents sin, the thing that puffs you up. Well, Jesus knew no sin, and he said, this will represent my body, which is broken for you. So there's no leavening, and it had to be unleavened to be a Passover piece of bread. It also had to be striped. 
I never noticed this until my friend Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who is a Messianic Jew, pointed it out that these matzah crackers all have stripes in them. Nobody knows when. It appeared sometime in ancient history that when they put them in the oven, they began taking on these stripes. And Scripture says it had to be striped because the striping represents the one who would be striped for us by the Roman whip. If the stripes were missing, it could not be eaten in the ancient Jewish tradition. And the third thing that I understood is it had to be pierced. And when you pick up these pieces tonight, you're going to see that they have lots and lots of holes in them. Light has to pass through them. Why? Because they punctured them so there wouldn't be any air trapped in there that might puff it up. And we're told that he was pierced through for our transgressions. Look with me at Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. By his stripes we are healed. At the crucifixion, that's carried out with the nails and the spear, and he's pierced through. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And here's the last part, verse 20 of Luke 22. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The cup that you're about to hold in your hand, I understand it as what I've been taught by Jewish theologians is Probably a good representation of the third cup. They believe that's what Jesus was holding up. In the Passover meal, there were four cups. If you talk to a Messianic Jew today, they would tell you there's four cups in that meal. And the first one is the cup of sanctification. And God's saying, I will bring you out. And the second one is the cup of the plagues in which God said, I'm going to free you. And the third cup is the cup of redemption. God says, I'm going to redeem you because he's the God who delivers. Amen? And then there's the fourth cup. Many people don't even know there is a fourth cup. It's called the cup of praise, in which God says, I will take you, I will take you as my own. Michael's going to lead us in just a moment in some more praise. We're told that after they celebrated the Last Supper, that they sang the Hallel, probably, most likely, and then they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. So put all these pieces together and check this. God condescends to live among us, to show us what life with God is supposed to be like, and then he allows those whom he created, mankind, to pin him to a chunk of wood with some steel rods and torture him, and in the most horrific way, he's put on this instrument of death which was devised specifically to be the most torturous form of death, you could possibly die. And while humanity is carrying out its most evil action, God is doing his greatest good on this God Friday. You're about to lift up the elements. You're going to get a chance to come get them. If you're new to New Hope, this is the way we do it. We have tables in the front and in the back and up on the balcony. And I typically encourage people to take this time to examine themselves because Scripture says to do that. That's great. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do in addition to that. Before you pick up the elements, uh, I would like for you to take them back to your seat and I'll talk you through the rest. But do this. Think of somebody in your social circle, somebody in your family who may not know Jesus yet. Think of the hundreds and hundreds of people who will be here in two days on Easter morning. Last year, there was well over 1,200 people here. 
Pray for those who are coming in the door that may not know Jesus and they need to know that he was pierced for their transgressions. And by his stripes we're healed. So you have good reason to pray right now. I'm gonna encourage you to do that. And when you feel ready, come on up to one of the tables. Pick up the elements, take them back, and I'll talk you through the remaining portion. If you're physically able, would you stand where you're at? What we're about to do, we don't do it because it makes us more holy, right, New Hope? Jesus already made us holy. So we do this to remember of what he did. We're told on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, the very same kind of thing you hold in your hand, an unleavened piece of bread. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And during that meal, he held up a cup. We believe it to be the third cup, the cup of redemption. And he said, this represents the blood that's going to be shed for you. Father, I thank you for the witness of every person in this auditorium, those who are participating by watching online right now, doing the same thing at home, witnessing to each other. We believe, we believe that Jesus died for us, and most importantly, that he rose again. Praise you, God, for this moment. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. As I told you, Michael's going to take us into this last song, but I just wanted you to hear this before you go out. Uh, We started with that thought that Jesus was delivered over. And see it one more time on the screen. It says in Acts 2.23, he was delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put to death. Aren't you glad it doesn't end there? Aren't you glad that's not the end? It would be a really sad end. So we're told this in John 19, 39. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid yet. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now there is a dichotomy. There is a contrast in words. God in a graveyard. God's in a grave. We just sang this song. I read the red letters. Maybe you don't know what he's referring to in the midst of that song, but when I was a child, my mom bought me a Bible, and it had the red letter edition. All the words of Jesus were printed in red ink. And even as a little boy and as a teenager, as I read through that Bible, I could see specifically the words of Jesus, and my eyes kept being drawn to one particular verse that was written in red because they were Jesus' own words. And here's red letters right here, John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Those are good red letters. But that's another story for Sunday morning. <laughs> 